This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. for joining us today for Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. On today's show, we are going to discuss all of the news related to the Israel-Hamas war and the way that Americans are responding to the crisis. We're going to talk about the new Speaker of the House, such as he is, and check in on the Trump trials and the continued dominance of the MAGA movement in the Republican Party. And really what we're doing is just processing a basket of hard-to-place emotions and ethics that the two of us are struggling with and that we know many of you are as well. Outside of politics, which don't we need today, we're going to talk about our conflicting approaches to online shopping in October. We're going to talk about cell phones. We end up talking about some very 90s solutions to contemporary problems. I don't know. It's a lot. We got there. But we hope that you enjoy it. Please join us on this journey. If you've been finding our coverage of the Israel-Hamas war or the speaker's race in the House helpful, we would love for you to share the show with a friend. The best way to grow our community is through word of mouth recommendations. So use that share button in your podcast app and send it to someone you think might also enjoy our approach to the news. This morning, as we are recording on Thursday, October 26, hundreds of police are searching the state of Maine for a man wanted in connection with mass shootings in a bar and bowling alley in Lewiston. Area schools are closed. People have been asked to stay at home. There are conflicting reports about how many people have been killed and injured. But we know this is a very scary time in Maine, and we know that every mass shooting brings new waves of grief for hundreds of thousands of people across the country. There's no way to think about people being shot in a bowling alley or a bar without feeling terrible lament and sorrow. So we are hopeful that the responsible individual will be apprehended soon, and we are holding everyone touched by this horror in our hearts. Next up, we'll turn our attention back to Israel and the Gaza Strip. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. 
Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Sarah, as we're recording on Thursday morning, October 26, I feel like there are two categories that we need to discuss related to Israel and Hamas. One category is what's actually happening on the ground. And there's a lot. You have a few hostages being released at a time. So clearly negotiations ongoing. You have some humanitarian aid making its way in, which means a ton of negotiation is happening with Egypt, with Israel, with Hamas, with the American administration, with other international partners. You have a serious barrage of rockets from Israel in the Gaza Strip. You have fire being exchanged at Israel's northern border with Hezbollah. You have some activities from the Houthis in Yemen. So that constant simmering risk of a wider war with these Iranian proxies acting, but all of it being contained to some extent And you have preparations for a ground invasion of the Gaza Strip. But that being held at bay, it sounds like largely on the advice of international partners. And so those are a lot of pieces to put together. And I'm wondering what's jumping out at you as you're processing them. First thing is, I am so grateful that Joe Biden is president right now. And that there are serious people with enormous amounts of experience trying to navigate this because it is so incredibly fraught. I am terrified that the conflict will widen and will become a regional war with Iran finally taking its shot. I am heartbroken for the enormous amount of human suffering taking place in Gaza. I am encouraged by the release of four hostages because the pain and horror and the hell that the families of these hostages must be living through. I was talking with a friend. I keep thinking about the book, The Deep End of the Ocean, which was the Oprah's first book for her book club a million years ago. It's about the mother of a child who was kidnapped. And, you know, I told her, I was like, I think it just breaks your brain when you know your family member is out there and you don't know if they're dead or alive, if they're suffering and you feel powerless to help them. I've been so struck by Rachel Goldberg, who is the mother of Hirsch Goldberg Pollen, who was kidnapped from the Supernova Festival. She spoke at the United Nations this week, and she's just incredible. She was like, where is the world? There are so many foreign nationals being held hostage by Hamas. Where is the world? We, the families of the 200 hostages, are far away on our own planet of agony. But where are you? Why is no one crying out for these people to be allowed access to the Red Cross? Why is no one demanding just proof of life? This is a global humanitarian catastrophe. I cannot imagine the plight of those families. Plus, we're just getting more detail about what happened on October 7th and the inhumanity and the cruelty. I read an article about how the Israeli Defense Force brought in journalists to watch some of it. They were vomiting. (laughs) I mean, it's just what they even just described on the page has not left my brain since I read it. It's just so overwhelming when you take in only the facts in this present moment, much less the enormous complexity of the history in this region. And so when people roll in on social media and act like they have it all figured out and they know who the good guy and the bad guy are, I find it infuriating. That is, to me, the second category that requires some discussion, the response in America to these events. Before we go to that, I do want to say one more thing about the handling of this by the administration in terms of what's happening on the ground. I was very encouraged this morning to see that President Biden is already talking with 
leaders in the region about what comes next and about how there is no return to the status quo pre-October 7th, that there must be a negotiated two-state solution, that there must be a state for Palestine with leadership that has diplomatic relations of some sort with Israel because we cannot go back and repeat this cycle. It's hard to find encouragement in a situation that is as gruesome and terrifying, truly, as this one is right now. But I am happy that that is the kind of conversation that is unfolding among world leaders. And I am encouraged that that is coming from the president of the United States. Well, because that's the intersection here, right, of of these two components of what's actually happening and how we're talking about it. I think what's so frustrating is, you know, discussions around a Palestinian state, discussions around ceasefires. I just feel like do people understand that that was the status quo, that Israel left Gaza, that there was this sort of quiet for quiet. This was Netanyahu's policy. We're just going to like quietly manage them and hope they leave us alone. That was it. And I think that we've seen Hamas was not playing by the same rules. I think the way people just reduce it down as if it's this simple solution. There's a beautiful piece in the Atlantic by Ned Lazarus called I Don't See a Better Way Out. And the the subtitle was, I envy those who know exactly how Hamas can be stopped without any more killing because I don't. And I thought it did such a good job of capturing like, this is a lot of things, but simple is not one of them. You know, even between the two of us right now, what we just said about what the administration is doing. It's like that. It's like that graphic where it's like what you see in someone's life is like the very tip of the iceberg and the iceberg goes all the way down to the depth of the ocean. Like, we don't know. We have no idea what's going on with these negotiations, with the conversations with the Israeli military. And look, I know just enough about the tunnels built by Hamas and the intensely dense cities on top of those tunnels to be dangerous. Like, I know just enough that that must be an impossible task, an impossible military strategic task to try to deal with that reality on the ground. And so people who just, you know, throw around white supremacy and colonizer and fascism, like I just can't. I'm sorry. I can't do that right now. I cannot do that right now. And I say this as kindly as I possibly can. That belies ignorance more than it does any sort of ethical righteousness to me. There was a graphic that circulated several years ago trying to illustrate the relationships between Iranian proxies in the Middle East. And it really just kind of looked like a toddler's scribbles Mm -hmm. because these groups share many interests, but there are major divergences, too. For example, Hamas originates from a Sunni Muslim organization, the Muslim Brotherhood, but Hezbollah and the Iranian regime are Shia Muslims. That's a big difference. And the Houthis are Shia also, but there's Aidi Shia, which is a totally different sect. And so just from a religious perspective, everybody's not on the same page. The stakes are quite different. Lebanon cannot handle a war right now. Lebanon is in very, very bad shape. So Hezbollah might be interested in aiding Hamas, but they have different stakes than Hamas. You just can't, you can't frame this in any way that is clarifying from where we sit in the United States. I can't. I know there are experts who do understand these things conducting these negotiations, though, and considering Mm -hmm. the strategy and advising Israel. And so that gives me comfort. The citizen discussion does not comfort me right now. I agree with you. I am discouraged by the citizen discussion of these issues. I was on Instagram earlier in the week uh, looking at an account that I follow for entertainment, just for fun. And there was a post that was just a lot of like ceasefire now. And it actually brought me to tears because... It's disorienting for me to not think, yes, exactly, a ceasefire is called for. It's been disorienting for me in Ukraine 
because of mm-hmm. course I want peace. That is the sincerest desire of my heart. I struggle. I would I would love to just not have weapons anymore, anywhere, right? That That is where my heart is. And I don't know what you do. Your ethics are always tested by people who don't share them. I don't know what you do in the face of the kind of terror that Hamas brought to Israel on October 7th. I don't know what you do when someone like Vladimir Putin will take and take and never be satisfied until it's all his. I do think there is some kind of defense that has to be mounted. And I don't think revenge is a a proper motivation for military action, but I understand it. And it's not mine to call for a ceasefire. I cannot grasp this enough to say out loud from my safe home in Kentucky, which is almost five times the size of Israel. That's what I keep thinking about. What if this happened here? I don't even have a scope for that. No. This is so small. Israel, about the size of Vermont. Gaza, about the size of Detroit. Lebanon, about the size of Connecticut. I don't have a frame of reference for this kind of violence coming to the door. And so I cannot sit here and say, well, there needs to be a ceasefire. And then what really breaks my heart are the people who I I have to tell myself are so steeped in the work of racial relations between Black and white Americans, that they are coming from a good place. But I am so sick over the groups that are out there glorifying the actions of Hamas Mm. and the pain that those groups are causing to so many of their fellow Americans and the absence of context that those groups have while they are yelling at the rest of us about context. Yes. It's horrifying. That's what sends me right over the edge. And I think that the idea that everything in America is defined by race, particularly race relations between Black and white Americans. But then you have the same people arguing that, saying things like, well, I know the Holocaust was bad, but excuse me? Excuse me? I struggle with that. First of all, I don't want to hear the Holocaust was bad, but ever. There should be no but, because no one would stomach slavery was bad, but. Nobody would do that. And this is not the oppression Olympics, okay? That's not what I'm arguing here. What I'm arguing is that the context is more complicated. Always, always, and in every single situation. And like in a, in a language the internet can understand, a red flag is this paragraph that I'm going to read from The Economist. Russia and China are winning too. There is a perception in the global South that this complex story is actually a simple one of oppressed Palestinians and Israeli colonizers. China and Russia will exploit this caricature to argue that America is revealing its true contempt for brown-skinned people in Gaza and its hypocrisy over human rights and war crimes, just as they claim it did by supposedly provoking a war in Ukraine. That's what we call a red flag. If this is easily exploitable by Russia and China to say, see, they never do anything worthwhile, they're hypocrites, then we are lost to ourselves and to the world. That cannot be our posture. That cannot be our posture. And look, this is not a new strategy by these actors. The bipartisan consensus about the 2016 election, and it is hard to get to a bipartisan consensus about that election, but the consensus is that part of Russia's strategy was to sow racial dissension in the United States because they know that is an issue that we will tear ourselves apart over. And so every opportunity to prey on our weakness, and yes, the history of slavery and the Jim Crow South and so many policies built on racism in the United States is our weakness It is a point of extreme vulnerability for us from a security perspective, just as it's a point of vulnerability in our living up to our ideals in so many other ways. They are using that against us right now, and we make it too easy 
Yep. When what we could just do is comfort one another and be thankful that we don't have to figure out the strategy. I'm thankful that I don't have to know when a ceasefire is appropriate. I'm thankful that I don't have to figure out the military response here. I am thankful for the work being done to get aid into the Gaza Strip because I do not want anyone who is a non-combatant, a peaceful person. I do not want anyone to lack food or water or medicine. I also want to be honest about the fact that under the governance of Hamas, people have lacked food and water and medicine for a long time. And it's not just because of the Israeli blockade. It is also because of the cooperation of Egypt and because of the continued extremism of Hamas. And corruption. And Not just extremism, corruption. That's right. Let me offer a more hopeful vision. Because it is not as if the global community has not pointed out the hypocrisy on race relations to Americans and we said, you're right, we're going to start working on it. That was some of the motivation during the 60s. And I don't see that as hypocrisy. I see that as acknowledgement. Yeah, you know what? This is this is weakening us in more ways than we want to acknowledge. And now we're going to acknowledge it. And if it's going to affect our national security and we're not treating soldiers coming back from World War II fairly and we're not living up to these ideas we said we were spreading around the globe, fine, let's do that. Instead of we're the worst and we can't fix it. Can't you see that? Instead of saying, you know what? Let's offer a vision to where we say there are complicated histories here between Black and white Americans. But America is more than that history. And America is more than that white supremacy. And America is also more than just Black and white. That we have an incredibly diverse populace that complicates that narrative. And instead of just trying to say, no, We're going to put this narrative, force this narrative over everything. We're going to acknowledge that it exists, it coexists with complicated racial histories, with Jews, with anti-Semitism in the United States, with Asian Americans, with immigrants, with migrants. Instead of saying we can't fix it, we're broken, we're hypocrites, we have no place in this conversation. Because I don't think it's a permanent state. And I think our history shows that. And so I think that there can be a way, and I think this is what fuels much of the Biden administration to say, we're trying and we're going to continue to try because we do think there is an ideal here worthy of not only American effort, but worldwide effort, because there is not a better alternative. When you understand the stakes involved here and the emotions that are very present For lots of Americans. And look, for Americans who are Jewish, for Americans who love people in Israel, for Americans who are Palestinian, for Americans who have relatives in the Gaza Strip right now, the stakes are very, very high. We have been reading Vanessa Zoltan's book, Praying with Jane Eyre, and she describes how in her Jewish family, after dinners, with people who weren't Jewish, the conversation would turn to, do you think that they would hide us if that became necessary? And it's been so eye-opening to me to to read about the presence of this every day, because this Mm -hmm. book was written long before October 7th, that this just is part of the lineage. That has been just very eye-opening and heartbreaking for me. So, Mindful of all of that, it's hard to have any kind of discussion here that properly acknowledges how personal this is across the group of people listening. And we're just trying to hold all of that together. And it is especially frustrating now to have to transition to domestic politics because our domestic politics are not living up to the seriousness required in a moment like this. But we are going to make that turn next. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. 
And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. Well, Beth, it worked. We manifested a Speaker of the House. Do you feel better? I can't decide if I feel better. I think it's important that the House be open. So Mm -hmm, in that regard, mm -hmm. yes. I knew that there was not going to be a Speaker of the House that I was going to say, well, that's our person. I feel great about this. So my expectations were set appropriately, I think. What frustrates me so much coming out of the Republican conference's deliberations is that instead of coming to a microphone and saying, this has been really hard, we think it's been important, but it's been very hard. And we know that there is very serious work to do now. And we're not going to lie to you, that work is going to be hard. Because as this process has demonstrated, we are not on the same page about some important matters, but we're going to do our best. Instead of that, we have been treated to a complete rewrite of the past 20 plus days. Matt Gates said it was the most productive two weeks in Congress's history, just so you know. Well, I'm glad you said that because I think that is very clarifying as to what the priorities are. Exactly. The priorities is a MAGA takeover of the Republican Party. Because what? The MAGA wing of the Republican Party has such a great track record? That's the part that's super fascinating to me. I listen. I guess I feel better. I didn't want to watch this bullshit anymore because I thought it was frustrating, infuriating, and dangerous. So I am encouraged that they elected somebody. And I would be more horrified by his politics, which are horrific, if I did not also believe that this man is so inexperienced and so underwater from the first second he, like, banged down that gavel that I can't feel threatened by him. Beth, you and I have been podcasting longer than this man has been in Congress, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson. But hey, 
Don't worry, because he also podcasts. Did you know that? Did you know that he has a podcast with his wife called Truth Be Told since 2022? Just FYI. I wish y'all could see her face right now. I don't know another way to say this. Making this show is a full-time job, and I don't think I'm dumb. Like, I, <sighs> I don't think that someone else can do this in less time than we spend on every— This, it just— Oh, my goodness. It upsets me so much. Well, we will know everything we need to know if he keeps podcasting. That's for sure. If he thinks he can keep podcasting, like, literally increase his fundraising by a factor of, I would say, close to 100, if not more. Um, also, triple his staff and fund the government in under 20 days and podcast. Then that will that will truly tell us everything we need to know. So Mike Johnson is from Louisiana. You might not have heard of him. Many of his colleagues in the Senate had not either. He's never met Mitch McConnell. What? Stop. That's amazing. I love it. The blank slate seems to be the thing that won it for him, right? right. Nobody knew him. Nobody could be mad at him. First of all, that's not going to last very long, okay? Y'all, in order to do this job, he is going to make some of you mad, um, which I think might be that he just doesn't do the job. I think that's our most likely scenario, is that we've elected a Speaker of the House, but he won't do any of the Speaker of the House job. Like, he won't. Maybe he'll staff up. We're not going to fund the government. He's got, like, it's not, they're not going to get these appropriation bills through. Like, this is a joke. This is a joke to me, honestly. Well, he's previewed that a little bit, right? I'm not sure what else he means by decentralization other than Less. I'm not going to do this. We're going to have more member involvement and in everything. Cool. Well, I guess it's going to take 20 days to get even the most basic things done yeah. in the House now. I don't know how the House is going to act quickly. They can't agree. They can't agree on anything. They agree on their support for Israel, and I'm glad of that, right? That's okay, the first resolution okay. he rolled out. Okay, well, that's encouraging. The conference is behind that. But what, what this means for Ukraine, I don't know. I am very bearish on getting the government funded in any meaningful sense. I wish him good luck. I hope that he can pull all of this together. But I have a feeling that his definition of pulling all this together is so vastly different from mine. Mm, yes. That I am not optimistic. Did you also know that he was a radio show host? I did know that. He's like the full, I know he's a lawyer technically, and then he wrote the amicus brief for the January 6th lawsuit before the Supreme Court. But he just seems like the fullest embodiment of like Christian nationalist, far right wing activist. I mean, he was only elected by like 86,000 people. Let me bring this into sharper relief with a quote from him in 2016. Oh, goody. Some people are called to pastoral ministry. I was called to legal ministry. Oh, that's a fun term. And I've been out on the front lines of the culture war defending religious freedom, the sanctity of human life, and biblical values, including the defense of traditional marriage and other ideals like these when they've been under assault. I wonder how actual constitutional scholars feel when someone like Mike Johnson describes themselves as a constitutional lawyer. It's not like he's arguing for the Supreme Court. This is what he's doing. He's like leading organizations that send state legislators legislation that they can just sign their names on and turn it. You know, like that template bullcrap that you see spread across the country. That's what he did. What I think is interesting about this, we've been talking about like what is Trump 2.0. I think it's this. Yeah. I think people said they wanted Trump without the mean tweets, and that is Mike Johnson. It is the extreme policy perspective in a more palatable format. Right. Because what is the meaningful difference between Mike Johnson and Jim Jordan? He's nicer. That's what you hear from people, right? He's nicer. He's less well-known. Well, but the meanness is what they like about Trump. This is a problem. Their coalition falls apart a little bit. If you don't have the, like, outsider businessman aspect, which swept up a lot of, I think, probably independent voters. If you don't have the fighter... I'm going to say, you know, Afghanistan was a mistake. I'm going to say NAFTA was a mistake. I'm going to say you've been screwed over by the, like, the sort of, oh, what's our country man friend, the, the rich man north of Richmond? Oh, the Oliver Anthony. Which I know that that's not his actual, I'm not, you know, y'all, I have a long, complicated history with Oliver Anthony. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that. That vibe. If you don't have the, I'm going to fight for you, I'm going to say, I'm going to be politically incorrect. If you don't have that, that's part of the coalition. That's a big part of the coalition, actually. And this little little Mike Johnson's not going to get that done. So if you don't have that and you don't... Now, Christian nationalists were a part of the coalition, but not enough to win it. <laughs> not enough to win any real elections in this country. and Not even in his own town. He lives in a majority black district that they gerrymandered all to hell. So, like, this is not a political strategy. This is a culture war strategy. 
That's why he's a talk radio host and a podcaster. Like, that's what this is. And that is not the job of the Speaker of the House. Right. I would give anything, Beth, to just sit down with Nancy Pelosi with a glass of wine and be like, so, what you think? What you think? What do you think? This good? I just, I can't even, the the capacity of that woman. And Hakeem Jeffries, who's doing a great job too. Not, no, no shade, but she just did it for so long. Like, what must she think about somebody with this little experience coming to do this work? I would love to have a glass of wine with John Boehner and discuss this. Right? I was I would smoke. I would I would take up smoking again. I only smoked in high school, guys. Not like I was a real smoker, but I do like smoking. It just kills you. Just sit like light up a cigarette with John Boehner right now and just be like, "What you think, buddy? What you think?" I comfort myself by remembering that he is a speaker of attrition. Yeah, he was not the first choice. He was not the second choice. He was not the third choice. You know, some people rise to the the occasion, and I hope that oh. Mike Johnson will be one of them. Shh, it's a long way. But I hope he will rise to the occasion. He doesn't have to rise, Beth. He has to fly. He has to develop the capacity to fly in like 24 hours. Well, best of luck to the new speaker in doing things Mm -hmm. that are good for the country. That's that's all I got. (laughs) I am interested in hearing your take because I've been talking about this on More to Say, but we haven't discussed together the plea deals reached in the Georgia racketeering prosecution of 19 defendants related to our 2020 election. Well, this is the perfect crossover to me. You know, Matt Gates went on Steve Bannon's podcast and he was like, if you don't think that moving from Kevin McCarthy to MAGA Mike Johnson shows the ascendance of this movement and where the power of the Republican Party truly lies, then you're not paying attention. I don't think you're paying attention, friend, because your leader has his lawyers dropping like flies and singing like canaries. One of them cried. Casting her lot with this MAGA movement was such a bad life choice. Meanwhile, he's getting fined for gag orders. Like, all, literally, like, the same day, they're like, this is where we want to take the party. Jesus, take the wheel. I don't know what else to say, you guys. Do you, I don't think they want to win. I know oh, I've said this. I don't know what else to say, though. They don't want to win elections. They want to fight on Steve Bannon's podcast. They're coming for our jobs, Beth. That's what they're doing. That's that's what they want. They want that's our jobs. True. They don't want their jobs. They do want that's our right. jobs. They want our jobs plus their jobs, right? I think that some of them truly believe that the, if they would just go MAGA enough, then they yeah, would win all the true. elections. I don't think that there are people who actually don't want power there. I think there are some of these folks who think the problem is we haven't gone hard enough. The problem with Trump's first term is that he let in too many people like H.R. McMaster who actually cared about a functioning government. And if he would actually have gone in and blown it all up, then yep. forever the the throngs would be with him. Right. That's that's called being an ideologue. That happens on the left, too. There's a thread here, just saying, um, that we just don't go, we're not seeing this enough, we're not going hard enough. I think you're exactly right that they think they just haven't done it enough. Because here's what happens from my experience in Washington, D.C. There are two types of political consultants. Well, you know what it is? There's political consultants and there's political strategists. There is a person who will tell you what you want to hear, what feels good, And those people will help you lose elections. And there are people who will tell you the truth. See the Republican primary currently for many, many political consultants. Exactly. And this is what this is what happens. You like you get high on your own supply. And so that's what's happening. No one is listening. No one is paying attention where it just feels good. I mean, listen, I'm sure it does feel good to a certain aspect of like basic human psychology to be all up in MAGA, to fight, to feel like you're tough, to feel like God's chosen Trump as some sort of like Christian prophet. Like it's just, it is intoxicating. There is a moment in Rachel Goldberg's press conference before the UN when she's talking about these hostages where she says, hate is intoxicating. I get it. It's easy in a way. You can get drunk on it. Like it feels so good. For a while, there's this beautiful, beautiful moment in Beth Moore's memoir. She's talking about self-delusion. She says, the maddening complexity is denial could on occasion offer a little relief. It makes a poor lifestyle, but a pleasant lunch. And all these guys are out to lunch. 
Well, that is the horseshoe effect that a lot of people are writing about in American politics, right? That once you embrace the fullest expression of either right or left, and you are fueled by your sense of moral certitude, of righteousness, of anger at everyone who disagrees with you, then you you meet at a point where it becomes difficult to distinguish between right and left anymore. And I think that is certainly the animating calculus. I think Steve Bannon counts on that. I oh, think yeah. the horseshoe is what he's going for, right? So is RFK. And RFK, yes. I think mm-hmm. in a in a different package, yes. And I get it because there's more of a sense of belonging and groundedness when you're sure about something. Yep. It feels really good to be sure about something. It feels terrible to say this is hard. I'm not, I don't know. I don't think there's yep. a good answer here. I mean, going back to our first segment, the amount of time that I am spending right now just searching for what my faith counsels mm. about war. I mean, like, I, I really need to speak to someone about this. You know, Maybe we should call it Beth Moore's people. I feel like she could help us. It feels like being torn on a cellular level mm-hmm. to to try to put together all of the things that I believe about some of these difficult situations. In an easier vein, it is not fun to be like, I think Joe Biden is doing a really good job with this. I disagree with him about the way they pulled out of Afghanistan, or I disagree about some of the components of uh, the the soft infrastructure proposal. Like, it's not fun to have a complex view of a person. It is way more mm-hmm. fun to be like, love that dude, or, or he's the worst, because then you like link arms with other people and here you are all together. And so I can especially imagine that if I were sitting in the House of Representatives where I have to run for office every two years, which means I don't even get moved in before I'm in the next cycle, and where I have to have an enormous amount of money for anyone to even know or care who I am, and where only about 5% of my district ever reaches out to me about anything, that's probably on the high side, but the people who do call really have my number and light me up, Mm -hmm. I can imagine that it is a perverse set of incentives that gets you to a place of feeling really sure about one animating ideal, and MAGA is pretty easy. MAGA makes for a good lunch. That is an excellent metaphor. And it is making for a mess of trying to govern a country as large and diverse and complicated and powerful as this one. I couldn't agree more. I, like, teared up when you were talking, not because of the bozos in the house. My anger is a sense of, like, the suffering that is happening right now, and you people can't get it straight. Because there is nothing easy about watching Palestinian children die by the thousands or reading the accounts of inhuman brutality toward Israeli children or thinking about the Ukrainian children who were kidnapped and taken to Russia. Like, it's impossible. It's impossible. And to me, there's this this undercurrent of like, I don't even know how to put words to it. It's almost like survivor's guilt. My children live in safety, and I have to acknowledge that children all over the world don't, and I can't hold it all. And I understand that. I understand that. What I don't understand is then thinking you have the answer. Because, of course, children are suffering and dying all over the world. That has been the default for most of human history. What we have procured for ourselves here is the exception. It's the exception. I hate, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to say, like, I don't want that. I don't want children to die or suffer. Of course I don't. But I don't want that to sound like, I don't know. I just, I think it is a really hard place to be in to acknowledge that, like, violence and pain and suffering and death is a reality that we all exist in. But then you also have to be careful not to say, like, sort of do what the the MAGA, even the horseshoe does, which is to say, like, people get to do that now. Like, that's the place they get to exist in. Like, that's obviously they're going to be violent because of all this suffering. Like, I think you're right. Like, I mean, I, I'm looking to faith leaders and peace activists and 
you know, the words of people like Martin Luther King who can say, no, no, like this is the line. This is the line where we we do not downplay or sweep away the suffering and violence and harm coming to people all across the planet. And also we do not justify the perpetuation of violence in the face of that. And I have no idea what that translates to from a policy perspective. And and there's a part of me that just has to say, like, it doesn't. Maybe it just doesn't. That doesn't mean it's irrelevant, but I don't know what it means. I have to offer the the prayers for the people in our service at church this weekend. And I started writing it and I wrote the word guilt. Like I was I was Mm -hmm. thinking about all these things that we can be thankful for this time of year. Even just I get choked up right now looking at the leaves on the trees because it's so gorgeous where I live right now. And then I feel terrible about how gorgeous it is here. I started making a list because I wanted to acknowledge conflicts beyond those that we hear about in the news, and I didn't know where to stop. The Uyghurs, the Armenians, you know, so many people living with Boko Haram. Like, I just, I don't know where to stop, you know, when you Mm -hmm. start to, like, really sit with all of that suffering. And I can say, like, I don't want this for the children, but then when I sit in my faith space, I also think, well, I don't want IDF soldiers to die. Mm-mm. I don't know what circumstances made these Hamas militants who they are. Something horrible, right? Something beyond my comprehension, what leads you there. And then to bring that back to the domestic side, like I can find it in my soul to look at Matt Gates and Steve Bannon and Donald Trump with compassion and to say, I don't, I don't know the rock in your shoe. I don't know the path that brought you here. And... I don't know how to have my ethics tested by yours. And I don't know what the path is to to say you are unacceptable to me. Not as a human, but as a leader, you are unacceptable to me. I think I find all of this so stressful because answering the question that always gives me clarity, who do I want to be in this, is it feels not available right now. I don't know where to begin. I keep thinking about the two elderly hostages that were released and how one of them turned back and said shalom to her Hamas captor. And I just think peace is a big word and we ask it to hold so much. We ask it to mean the absence of conflict, but I think peace means something more complicated than that. It means how we respond to inevitable conflict. It doesn't mean that we get to a place where there is no violence or suffering. It means that we find a path, I don't even want to say a path forward, a path through it. And I think the reason that those individual questions are so difficult is because there isn't an individual path. There is only a collective path. It is why I'm often going to Jewish rabbis and reading their words, because the collective wisdom and the emphasis on collective wisdom inside the Jewish faith is enormously comforting to me. And it's not absent in other faiths either. I was reading Rabbi Jonathan Sachs to heal a fractured world, and he talks about a collective soul. And I think that's just what's so difficult right now is we don't have a single soul. I don't think ever, and particularly not in a moment like this. And so if we don't have a single soul, then our hearts are breaking, not just for entire Palestinian families wiped out, but for the family like Rachel Goldberg's who is trying to live in the hell, knowing her son is out there and not and not knowing how he is, not knowing if he is alive or dead. It's just, it's breaking. It's a, it's a rendering. It's why we need those biblical moments where people tear their clothing. What else am I supposed to do to represent how this feels? But to claw my skin, to rip my clothing, to say, we do not exist as individuals. We are connected to each other. That's why this clown show is so infuriating. I wish I was not connected to them, but I am. I have to love my enemy as myself. I hate it, but I don't know what else to do. Yeah, and I even feel conflicted about sharing what I have in this conversation because I also have this keen awareness that none of this is about me. Who cares that I find it spiritually torturous? 
Uh, who cares that I'm sad looking at the lead? Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the other. There's no sense of proportionality. Like, there's just no way. You have that sense that we're all connected in all of this. And there is not a top of the box of the puzzle to show how or to show what that means or where you should insert yourself into it or not. And all I know to do here is to be open about the way that we're thinking about it. I can contribute by doing the research on the region and trying to share what we know, but I am not a war reporter or a reporter of any type. And so what I can contribute to the body of information is narrow. And what I can contribute to the body of emotional processing is fraught. And also talking about anything else feels wrong, sick. Silly. Yeah. And so here we all are. It it makes me think about, I've really been missing my therapist lately. He retired Mm. a couple of years ago. He talked once we were we were discussing i don't even remember what awful disaster had occurred but a natural disaster and he said you know for a few years now it just feels like the earth is groaning and that has been really present with me for the month of october it feels like the earth is groaning and all of its people too sarah and i have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible and skincare is a huge piece of that I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you.
always end our show talking about something outside of politics. A hard pivot, a needed one, I think, because we can't stay in that space 24-7. We do have to be able to, like, parent and go to the grocery store and do laundry and do our jobs. And so, Sarah, for our frivolous outside of politics conversation, we're going to talk about shopping in October and how we've taken very different approaches to online shopping in October. I gave up online shopping in October because we talked about this, I think, here in one of our premium shows that I experienced some very compulsive moments surrounding online shopping where I finally stopped shopping because my phone died. And I thought, okay, friend, let's take a minute and think about this behavior. (laughs) It is not serving you. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to stop. For October, I'm just going to, no Amazon, no online shopping, no Instagram purchases. And so I didn't. I bought, I think, three things on Amazon, two which were related to Halloween costumes because I couldn't wait till October 31st to buy them or it would be too late. And one to replace something I lost on a trip. So it felt really, really good. I got to be honest. I'm going to try to keep this up because I also got rid of a bunch of stuff in my closet that were impulse purchases. And around my house, and I thought, see, this is why I didn't do this in October, because I just get influenced, and then I have stuff that I have to deal with, and I've spent very valuable money I could spend on something else, and I just gotta, I gotta watch myself. Well, I leaned way into online shopping in October. (laughs) My goal has been to finish my holiday shopping before Thanksgiving, and preferably before the month of November, and I'm real close. That's awesome. And... To be fair, I have purchased a lot of things that were shown to me on Instagram, but I have felt kind of great about it because most of those are pretty small businesses, Mm. and they are things that I was looking for anyway, but then they would sort of, you know, like ideas that I had. I keep a note all year of ideas for for gifts, and I had things on the, the note, and then I would see a version of it that I really liked, and I would buy it, and I have enjoyed getting that done and having things trickle in and like really looking at them and thinking, is this the thing? Okay, yes. Then I'm going to go ahead and wrap it. Yeah. I feel just relieved, honestly. The the junk mail came with the buy your Christmas cards now at this discount. And I was like, great. I'm going to go do that immediately. Went right to the computer, entered the very complex codes, (laughs) Shutterfly. You could make that a little easier. Uh, But my holiday cards have arrived. They're ready for me to get set up and, and out. And so... What I want the most as we get into November and December is to focus on people and cooking for people because I enjoy that a lot. And so having this piece of it out of the way has been awesome. And being able to knock it out from my house instead of running around to, you know, chain stores where my options are fairly limited has been really nice. Now, listen, I'm going to ask you a hard question. Yeah, you can. Was all the online shopping Christmas shopping? Almost. Okay. That's good. There are three things I can think of that were not. Halloween costumes, right? So the girls will say, oh, I need this or I need that and I'll just order it. And then I bought myself some pants that I really like. Okay. They're like non-jeans, but casual wear them out of the house pants. And I bought some new bras. So those are the (laughs) things I can think of that were. I just had to. It was compulsive. And I'm still dealing with compulsive phone behavior. I feel like I'm always coming on this podcast saying, well, I found this new app and I think it's really helping. <laughs> I have finally resorted to scheduling my phone to go to Grayscale because Grayscale will stop you in your tracks. It's not fun to be on an iPhone in Grayscale, not even a little bit. And so I have, I didn't know you could do this. You can set up a shortcut and schedule your phone to go at Grayscale for certain amounts of time, which is really cool. And that seems to have helped. And I'm still using the one second app to make me pause before I go into Instagram. Like I just, how many freaking speed bumps can I put in place to keep me from using my phone in a compulsive manner? I'm beginning to wonder. It is so challenging and I struggle because I worry about letting people down if I'm not near my phone. What works best for me is to put it away. Just to not have it in the room with me. Oh, I have that. I have a special arrow box where we can all put our phones in the box. They're like rakes. I have every tool imaginable. 
But then I worry, okay, if the kids aren't with me, I need to have the phone. If Chad's out of town, I need to have the phone. Well, how are my parents doing? I probably need the phone. What if Chad's mom needs something? What if our neighbors need me? What if someone from our team sends a Voxer and they're waiting on an answer from me and they can't move forward unless they hear from us? You know, like I just, I tell myself that my phone is my representation of care to other people. (laughs) And I need to just give myself some hours and probably just say to my people, like during these hours, I just I'm going to put it in another room. I, I, I need to put some boundary around this for me. Now, I don't know if this is because we just experienced 1990s nostalgia at our live show. We really leaned in and had a lot of good times with that. Are you wanting a landline? I want a landline. I think I'm going to. I yes. have one. I have a landline. I have a phone that sits upstairs. That we, we already have the number. It's on a bunch of stuff. I could put it in my kid's phone. Nicholas could call me and know that I will pick up that phone. I just need to move it downstairs and like get a really, maybe like a cute phone I like that I enjoy a little, a little temptation bundling there that I could set out and would be cute. My friends and I have been talking about this. Like we were talking about music. Why did we put all our music on our phones? Why do we want our phones to be our cameras and our Walkman and our actual way for people to get in touch with us? Like, it was a trap, guys. It was a trap to keep it in our hands all the time. And I don't want my works. phone in my hand all the time. And like, even when I got out my videos from college and I saw all these camcorder videos I'd made, it's so awesome. And it's so different than the video you take on your phone because you always have to turn the video off because you're using your phone for something else. Whereas like the video I took at college, I would like turn it on for a half an hour at a time. Now it's way boring to watch, but it's super fun too, because it captures the moment, you know, like it's, it's actually capturing what was happening in that time period, not just like these like beautiful little Instagram reels. Right. And when we were in Yosemite, the amount of people, particularly young people I saw with actual physical cameras and not a phone was pretty dang high. And so I'm just like, what can I take off of this? Like, what tool can I extract from the phone and put it back where it belongs? Yeah, it's a great question. I I had my hands x-rayed recently. I have arthritis at the bottom of my thumb joint on my right hand. That is the phone. That is holding the phone, right? Like, that's that's outrageous. I'm so mad about it. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at the world about it. Yep. And I don't want that for my daughter's. And I don't want the dang swiping remote. That's not the solution I'm looking for. It's the swiping. Have you seen this? You wear it on your thumb. Oh, my God. It's a wireless remote. You put it on your thumb so you can prop your phone up and do your swiping for like an hour or whatever. No. And not have to hold your phone. I was like, no. No. No, no, no. I have been thinking so much about a landline. It's uncanny that you said that. I just have started to realize there's no escape from this phone for me unless I am confident that people have a way to reach me otherwise. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that. I have a really cute place. Listen, my house was built in 1995, you guys. Every room has a phone check. <laughs> Literally every single room in my home has a phone jack. It's hilarious. Everyone has a phone jack and a cable jack, believe I like, I was even talking to Nicholas this morning. You know what I miss? I miss DVR. I don't know why we thought streaming was better than DVR. DVR was the best. TiVo was the best. It was, you don't have to make the decision every time your TiVo was like, here you go. Here's what I recorded for you. And you're like, thank you. Do you not still have some capacity for that? We do. No, because we don't have cable. Okay. Well, we, yeah, we do. And it is nice. It is nice to just be like, oh, well, Survivor was on Wednesday and we have a new one. We're going to watch it now. Hooray. Yeah, I miss it. I miss it. But I don't want to go back to cable. I don't know. I've circled. This is like another. We went from, oh, cable so expensive, boo, to now like we've come back around to like, well, maybe it's cheaper than having every single streaming service. But look, I also feel totally differently about TV as a parent than I thought I would. I expected to be like, we got to limit their TV. Now I'm like, please watch TV. It has a beginning, middle, and an end. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's not an endless scroll. Like, sure. Yes. Please sit down and watch a show. How great for your brain is that? (laughs) (laughs) What's happened? We're in the upside down. I know. Well, I can't wait to hear from our audience. I bet some of them have landlines. I bet some of them have extracted tools from their phone. I want to hear about it. Well, thank you for being here today for this wide-ranging episode. We are really trying to work through some stuff right now. We got to find another word for that. I know. We we contain multitudes and they're wide-ranging. Let's hit us up in the comments for another way to describe the fact that we talk about everything in our brains on episodes of Pansy Politics, please. We need some more words. If you in some way, found this episode valuable, we would love for you to share it with someone. 
let you know because I think a lot of us are working through a lot of things right now and it's always nice when we're able to do it together we will be back in your ears on Tuesday until then have the best weekend available to you Pantsu Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our Managing Director. Maggie Pinton is our Director of Community Engagement. Xander Singh is the composer of our theme music with inspiration from original work by Dante Lima. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Catherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. Emily Neasley. The Cousins! Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Emily Helen Olson. Lee Shea McDonough. Morgan McHugh. Jen Ross. Sabrina Drago. Becca Dorval. Christina Quartararo. Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.